get off the sidelines. Time to get in the game. We are in some crazy times right now, guys. We are in some crazy times. As you guys all know, the world is basically shut down. The world has taken a break, taken a hiatus, and we all know why, right? There's this issue of the coronavirus, COVID-19, and if you guys have been following me on social media, if you guys are in my courses, if you guys are in the Wellness Academy tribe, you guys already know that I've been talking about this a lot, and it's been... It's been a little moment since I've done a podcast. I kind of took a little hiatus from this. Um, it takes a lot of work to put these episodes out. Um, but I see the importance of why we needed this information to get out there. And I wanted to do this episode to discuss a lot of the things that I know um, and a lot of the information that I've been gathering from various sources um, outside of what's been propagated in the mainstream media. So that's why I'm doing this episode. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, my name is Dr. Mike Okouchi. I'm a uh, holistic chiropractic physician, and I, I'm i floored by what's going on. Um, we haven't seen something of this magnitude, uh, actually for many people, that are alive right now, we have not seen this type of issue going on worldwide. And I wanted to do this episode to kind of dispel some of the myths that has been propagated on mainstream media and social media, uh, give you guys a little bit more of an insight on, you know, some of the truths. And well, what do we do about this, right? That's what everybody wants to know. Okay, we understand. We know something's going on. Uh, we want to know a little bit about it because there's so much misinformation about that. And then we want to know, obviously, what it is to do. So that's what we want. We're, we're, we're going to shoot to accomplish on this podcast episode. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer on this. One, we don't have all the information upon what's going on. Two, a lot of the information that I've gathered is, in my opinion, only the tip of the iceberg. It's a big part of it, uh, a big part of dispelling a lot of the smoke that's out there already. Um, but in my opinion, it's nowhere near what the truthfulness of this entirety is. Uh, so I wanted to make that disclaimer. And, you know, just from my limited knowledge uh, from the information that I've gathered is what I'm going to be sharing with you. So please don't take this as an exhaustive be-all and end-all answer to all of this. This is just only what I know and uh, from what I've gathered from a, a bunch of reputable sources, uh, what I've seen from the research, which again, the research is so brand new because you got to figure we're in uh, month two or two and a half, three. Um, and in the United States, it's fairly uh, fairly brand new on that. So that's what I wanted to preface that with. Um, now let's jump into some of the more academic stuff. You know, what the virus is, uh, you know, who's more prone to it, all that stuff. We're going to jump into that right now. All right, let's look at the 
what I call the pathophysiology of the virus. What does this virus do within your body? First of all, how does it get into your body? Um, some of the things that we know is that it's transmitted through coughing, through sneezing, and then it enters your body three major routes, your nose, your mouth, and also your eyes. So why is that important? Well, there's a lot of people saying, well, you can buy these masks and you will be kept safe. Um, you've seen people buying out these masks and it's sold out everywhere, right? The thing of the matter is that it's transferring also through your eyes. So even though you got your nose and your mouth covered, it still can go through your eyes. Uh, and it attaches to the mucous membranes on the back of your throat. So yes, it does go into the back of your throat. And then what will happen from there is that the virus will attach to the outside of the cell and then there's certain receptors on the cell that it likes. And you gotta think of the receptor as like a, a, a lock and the virus is the key to open that lock. So there's specific ones that it likes. Once it opens that, it enters the cell and then it hijacks the cell. Now these are what we call RNA viruses. And the virus will then insert the RNA into the cell and then it'll use the cell's metabolic structure to make more copies of it, All right? So it's kind of like somebody breaking into your home and then they, you know, they, they know the, the key to, uh, they know the code to your home, they break in and you got a copying machine in there and what they do is they just make tons and tons of copies in your copying machine and then they exhaust all the resources in your home and then they move on to the next home. That's kind of like what's going on with viruses. Now what happens in this case is that the immune system will mount an attack creating inflammation and then for a lot of people, the lungs will start to fill with fluid and then this is what we call acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS. Now from what we've what we're seeing is that the virus can actually remain viable on on surfaces. So a lot of people are, you know, are asking, well, you know, is the virus be able to remain viable on on my packages on uh, different surfaces? And yes, it is. Uh, I think cardboard was shown to make it or, or it's viable on cardboard for like 24 hours, and on stainless steel. I think that one was the longest. I think that they were showing about 72 hours and I read somewhere, I don't remember, but somebody said that they, they saw that the virus could be viable for about nine days. So yes, it can remain viable on surfaces. Is it airborne? That's, that's still controversial because some, there's some reports that said yes, um, but many of them say no. Uh, so from what I have seen on the reports, we're leaning more towards the no side. Uh, but who, who knows, is that set in stone? I don't think so. Now, what happens then from there is that it'll, it'll attach to the red blood cells and it'll attack the iron within the red blood cells and it has a high affinity to what we call glycoproteins. Now, some of the signs and symptoms, and this is what a lot of people want to know, because, hey, if I have signs and symptoms, does, do I have it, right? And some of you have asked the questions, well, how do we know we have it? And if we do, what do we do from there? I'm going to answer all that kind of stuff at the, at the end, towards the end. So some of the signs and symptoms of this would be 
uh, coughing, headache, a sore throat, uh, labored breathing, fever is another common one, joint pain, joint pains, uh, just feeling fatigued, run down, chills, rapid heart rate is another one. Um, and then we start getting into the more pathological signs and symptoms of pneumonia, kidney failure, acute respiratory distress syndrome. Um, and then it can also attack the heart and the kidneys. Now, these things grow exponentially. What does that mean? Well, if you understand exponential growth, you won't see so many cases in the beginning. Now, there's also an incubation period where the virus is going from one cell in your body and then going to many more cells. And then uh, your body then becomes more symptomatic over time. So there's an exponential growth within your body and then there's an exponential growth through society. Okay, So in the beginning, you won't see that many cases. And then it'll start to grow, 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 grow. And then it'll hit a point where it's infected um, a, a big amount of people and there's no more places for it to go for infection. And then things start dying down because there's no more for it to propagate or um, the community in and of itself has built up an immunity to towards it. And that, that's the whole idea behind virology and, and the spread of it. Now, once it gets into your body, what happens is that your immune system doesn't like anything that's foreign to it. And it'll mount an attack. And the way that the immune system mounts an attack typically is an inflammatory response, right? So it'll either call up different cells that's basically like the police and saying, okay, hey guys, we have an intruder, call the police and the police will go there and capture the intruder or it will take a biochemical approach and it'll just light everything on fire, create this chemical barrage. So what we're seeing with this is that it's creating this massive amounts of inflammation. So the virus particle will enter into the cell and then the immune system will, will get a hold of it and the body will mount an immunological response through inflammation. Now, the problem that we're seeing with this is what we call a cytokine storm. Okay. Now, a lot of you have asked questions, what is a cytokine storm? Now, that basically became popular um, when we started doing organ grafts or organ transplants. This is everybody understands, you know, like if you if you take an, an if you put an organ into the body, you know, these recipients need to be on these uh, immune blockers because it, the the body could reject that, right? The body doesn't like anything that's foreign to it. So it mounts this immune response. Now with a cytokine storm, what happens here is this process of inflammation is like over and beyond a normal inflammatory response, okay? And what happens there is a, a local inflammation turns into this massive systemic inflammation. So let me paint this picture for you guys, all right? Say you have an intruder that comes into your home. It trips the alarm system. And then all of a sudden that alarm goes all the way to the White House and it triggers 
the nuclear missiles to launch. That's kind of what's happening in a cytokine storm when you when when this is going on. Okay, that's an abnormal response, right? If, if an intruder enters into your home, you don't necessarily need nuclear warheads exploding on your home. And you can kind of get the visual on what happens if a nuclear bomb goes off in your home. What will happen elsewhere? You get a lot of lot of collateral damage. So with a cytokine storm, we we're seeing massive amounts of collateral damage that's going on within the body. So there's a bunch of these cytokines um, that are being released, and it's primarily driven through uh, um, what is, what's called NF-kappa-B. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be talking about these scientific terms. Don't get caught up in it. You can look you can look these things up, but don't get caught up in it. Okay, so there's basically a, a um, there's two subsets that that we want to focus on. One is called NF kappa B. Just remember that this is the primary the driver of inflammation. Okay, and inflammation isn't bad, by the way. You need inflammation, but in balance, so that you don't you don't you don't get all kinds of other stuff going on, right? Controlled inflammation. So NF kappa B is the one that drives that. Now the one that balances that all out is NRF2. Okay. So when these two are in balance, then you get a proper immunological response. Intruder comes in, the NF kappa B pathway is activated, inflammation rises, you take care of that pathogen, and then it's calmed down through the NRF2 pathway, and everybody's happy. Now what we're seeing in a lot of the cases that are being reported as fatalities are cases where this cytokine storm goes rampant and it's not being balanced out by the NRF2 pathway. And why does this happen? Well, when you look at the balance between NRF2 and NF-kappa-B, that occurs through um, what we call the reduction oxidation principles in the body. Wait, wait, what does that mean, right? And everybody's like, what the heck is reduction oxidation? Okay. That's basically the transfer of electrons, okay? So if, if something is being reduced, it's uh, an electron is being given. If something is being oxidized, an electron is being taken away. That's basically it. You just just think of people giving something and taking something away. In a state of what we call high reduction oxidation potentials, that ability to give and receive electrons is balanced. In a state of low reduction, what happens is electrons are just being lost. Okay? It's just being leaked out. There's no receiving. Okay, So imagine that you have your bank account and there's no money fl flowing in. You got no income. Everything is just being spent and spent away. Eventually you'll go bankrupt. That's kind of like what we're seeing here is in a state of low redox, we are getting these cases. This is when the body just can't keep up because there's not enough electrons for it to keep up with the demand. There's not enough energy being circulated here. Now, what will cause that? So if you look, 
if you guys have been following me, you guys know that I talk a lot about the reduction in oxidation potentials in the body. And you got to view the body as a battery. Well, what, what throws all that off? What creates a low redox state? Um, stress is a big one. Stress, um, being being exposed to toxins, all that kind of stuff. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get more into that uh, on the strategies at the end of this. The strategies that you can use for that. Um, but the big one that we're seeing here is diabetes is is, is one of the issues that we're seeing, and then the other one being hypertension. And we're seeing this whole i this whole thing behind insulin affecting how the how the body's responding. Now what's happening whenever you're in a state of hyperglycemia or you have a lot more blood glucose, um, NF-kappa B will increase. So inflammation will increase. And then NRF2 will be inhibited. Surprise, surprise. And you'll you'll have decrease in uh, detoxification. All the stuff that you need to balance out will not be there. So that's kind of like what's happening in the cytokine storm here. And that's eventually it'll lead to, to sepsis when and you'll have low blood pressure, um, hyper or hypothermia. You'll have thrombocytopenia. You'll have leukocytosis or leukopenia. This is the, the bad part. This is where we don't want it to go. Now, when we look at the numbers um, of, of cases that people have infections with uh, COVID-19. Uh, we don't necessarily see a lot that goes to this stage because they need this other aspect to get to that stage, right? Remember, if your, your redox state is at a higher state, you most likely will not go into these stages because the body can bounce back right? You have an intruder, you're able to respond, and then everything's fine. Okay? You start the inflammatory process, and then the body curbs the inflammatory process. For the select percentage, that small percentage of people that are not able to respond properly, this is what we're seeing um, issues with that. Okay, So anything that throws off the reduction oxidation potential in the body is going to be bad news, okay? That's what I want you guys to take away from this. Now, one thing I wanna point out that a lot of people don't necessarily understand is we are basically seeing the, the really, the big issue behind the fight between Louis Pasteur and Antoine Bichamp. Not a lot of you guys know who Antoine Bichamp is. Well, maybe some of you guys don't even know who Louis Pasteur is. Well, Louis Pasteur is the one that is famous for essentially creating pasteurization. We all, we all heard that term, right? Your milk is pasteurized. If you want to disinfect something, you pasteurize it. And that's just exposing it to high temperatures so that you're killing off all of these germs. As children, we were always educated that we are filled with germs and our environment is filled with germs and that these germs are very bad, right? So we have to wash our hands. We have to do all these things um, that will prevent the spread of germs. So that was Louis Pasteur's hypothesis was that the germ is what created the disease. 
Well, his contemporary of the day was Antoine Béchamp. And Antoine Béchamp came along and said, well, is it really just the germ or is it the terrain that allows the germ to proliferate? So they would go at it and eventually um, Pasteur's germ theory is the one that became popularized and the terrain theory just kind of take took the back seat and you know nobody really nobody really believed that and and that's what our you know basically the entire healthcare system is based upon is the germ theory that's what we talk about today and that's why we have a lot of the issues that uh, is being talked about on the news that we're seeing and that's why a lot of people are actually in living in fear uh, because of the germ theory, we're looking at the virus as the problem. And there was a post that somebody put on, I think it was on my Facebook page, and we they asked, well, is the virus the problem? And it's not necessarily the virus. It's the terrain that allows the virus to proliferate. Let's say, let's see, look, look, look at it this way. If it was just the virus, then it, anything that the virus touched would become pathological right any anything would be decimated by it right like you know if if you're standing there and uh you got you got touched with the virus the virus would immediately take you out but why is it that only a small percentage will be affected by it and why is it only a small percentage will succumb to it well at it's because of the terrain theory now i also don't want you to take this and say it's only the terrain theory it's both it's really both but what is primary between the two is a terrain theory okay how do we know this is true well all of us actually understand this in a different way and how do we understand that well preservatives in our food, we use a refrigerator, we have canned goods, we have salting techniques that act as preservatives. And what this does is it changes the terrain, right? You can change the terrain by changing the temperature. You can change the terrain by changing the chemical composition, the pH of it. When I was in my microbiology class, we were given these things called unknowns. And what we had to do is we had to figure out what type of microbe it was by creating what's called selective growing media. And by using cert, uh, selective growing media, we could then rule out which of the microbes was it was not. Right? We knew, okay, certain a gram positive would grow on this media, a gram negative would grow on this media. And then... If it didn't grow on the media, we knew, okay, it couldn't be this, it couldn't be that, it has to be this one. And we did that through changing the terrain. So that's what happens in the body. If the body becomes hospitable to a pathogen, then the pathogen will proliferate. Case in point is that most of us have pathogenic growing microbes in our, in our microbiome. It's only when the situations become favorable that those pathogens will become pathogenic. So why is this so important? Well, I talked about this earlier here. 
we see that there's a certain percentage of the population that has a state of low redox. And when you're in a state of low redox, you don't detoxify properly. And when you don't detoxify properly, that becomes breeding ground for any type of pathogenic organism. Low redox also means low levels of oxygen. Low levels of oxygen is a breeding ground for pathogen. And when pathogens within the body are already growing, now the immune system is in a state of suppression. A lot of people understand that uh, a comor comorbidity with diabetes is gangrene. Why does that happen? Well, you get decrease in oxygen delivery, you get decrease in circulation, and then things become pathogenic. That's just what happens. Okay. So why do I point all this out? Well, a lot of people are just pointing the finger at the virus, the virus, the virus, the virus. But is it just the virus or is it also the terrain? And that's going to come into play later on when I talk about some of the some of the things that we're seeing to be effective. OK, now let's look at when we look at the word virus. What does a virus mean? It comes from the Latin word, a poisonous emanation. What is this poisonous emanation coming from? Right. That that's that was always the question I had in my immunology classes. Where do these viruses come from? And are they alive? And technically, they're not. They're not. They're not alive. They're basically just a protein coat with DNA or RNA in it. They're not alive. They need a host for it to replicate. Now, if you understand evolutionary biology, you understand that if something is tr is trying to win more in life, it needs to take uh, the highest road possible. What do I mean by that? Well, you, everybody knows the term survival of the fittest. Now, if you look at a virus, if a virus's sole idea in life was to infect somebody to kill it, to infect the host and kill it, is that a favorable trait for survival? No, it's not. Because if it kills that host, it will also kill itself because it's dependent upon the host. Its whole job, its whole idea is to take as much from the host, use the host so that it can propagate itself and then move on. Now, if the host cannot handle what's going on, that's the issue at hand. And that's what we're seeing, right? The majority of the, the cases that are fatal cases are the ones that have that lowered capacity to respond. Now, one of the other things I wanted to point out was that some of the research is showing that uh, viral shedding can occur uh, on average for about 20 days for survivors. That means that they can still spread these viral particles for about 20 days. Um, they said about 37, 40 days was the longest that they've seen right now. So that means that even if a person becomes non-symptomatic, they can still pass along these viral particles. Something to think about there. Now, I wanna jump into some of the things that we've been seeing in the news. And uh, I'm gonna start off with some of the good things that I've seen in the news. And there's a lot, I'm not gonna talk about all of them. Some of the ones that just, they, they popped up into my mind and popped up um, on my feed. And I thought, hey, this is interesting. One of them was an article talking about the five myths to stop believing about COVID-19. 
All right, so myth number one, you need a face mask. And I already talked about that. The face mask is not going to ensure 100% or, or block 100% of transmission because it can transfer through your eyes. And some, some of the studies have shown that it can actually transfer through the mask anyway. Because you, you guys got to understand, these things are very, very small. Very, very small. You know, a lot of us can't see bacteria. Actually, none of us can see bacteria with our naked eye. Um, now, if you look at it from that perspective, if we can't see bacteria because bacteria are so small, and then you understand that viruses are so small that if a bacteria, um, in, in the perspective of us, if the bacteria was like us looking down upon a virus and the virus was the bacteria, it wouldn't be able to see it. That's how small these things are. I mean, we're talking sub-microscopic, okay? So they'll pass through these masks. Pretty crazy, right? Myth number two, getting COVID-19 means certain death. No, I already talked about that. It's only a certain subset. It's all about your redox state, okay? Myth number three, you need to be near someone for at least 10 minutes to contract the virus. No, nope, it can be instantaneous. Myth number four, Pets can transmit the disease. Uh, it's This has been a rumor being propagated, um, but a lot of studies show it's not being transmitted by animals currently. Now, uh, we can talk about some of the ideas and some of the conspiracies surrounding the origin of it, where uh, I've read research papers saying, hmm, that there's a connection to um, biological tampering in labs. I don't know 100%, but if you piece things together, it does seem kind of fishy. Um, uh, I've seen some reports saying that there, there was transmission of uh, work that was done in the United States over to China, and then China was working on it and China has a level four um, level four lab in Wuhan, all that kind of stuff. And I've read these things. Uh, is it 100%? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but hey, who knows? Uh, I, don't, I don't try to get stuck on that. The matter of the fact is that there is something going on and what do we do about that, right? What do we do about that? that that's, the, that's the major focus that I want you guys to really look at on not getting caught up in the, in the other stuff. All right, myth number five, COVID-19 is nothing, nothing compared to the flu. Well, yeah, a, a lot of people say, well, this is just like another flu or, um, you know, the flu is worse. And they're, they're two different, they have two different genetics um, and how the body's responding to it. That's the most important thing. So, um, you know, the flu, uh, children are being affected by, you know, flus. Whereas we're, we're not seeing this so much in children. We're seeing it more in the adult population. We're seeing it more in males. We're seeing it more in people who have Comorbid issues like diabetes, hypertension, uh, anemia is another one. So yeah, I mean, 
we always try to compare something to what we know and what we're familiar with so I can understand why people are comparing it to the flu. But, you know, when we get down to the section when we when we're talking about what's being used uh, currently in the medical system for it, you'll see that they're actually using stuff that they use for the flu. So there's that. A lot of the news is talking about, well, we don't have enough test kits and, you know, the United States is failing in its attempts or, or to, you know, deal with this because we're not testing a lot of people and China has tested and South Korea has tested all that all that stuff about it, right? Well, the, what they're finding is that a lot of the tests that are being done, they're showing a lot of false positives. And this goes for a lot of medical tests, by the way, not, not just this. So that's a big problem if they're testing and the information that they're getting back is not accurate. Um, I don't know. I don't know the, all the numbers surrounding that. But I know that there's a lot of false positives. And, and what that can do is that can throw numbers off and that can throw, um, you know, what the media talks about. It can create inflated numbers. I do know that there are a lot of reports coming from people within China that's saying that their numbers are underreported. And there are, there are cases... Uh, you know, in, in well, the you know, stuff like United States. I don't think the United States has tested enough people uh, to give their numbers and yada, yada, yada. Now, what does all that mean? Well, we always try to give these statistics surrounding breakouts like this. And, and we don't have, we don't have the accurate information. So, a lot of people think, well, you know, it's the, it's the end of the world. You know, we, we have, <laughs> oh, it's, it's creating more deaths than uh, flus or whatever. It's creating less deaths than flus. More people are dying here. Less people are dying here. It's creating a lot of misinformation. And I'm seeing that within the news. And I don't know if that's even, that's even a right thing to be doing. You know, because I think that that's just driving more fear into society. Um, another article that I read, let me see if I can find it here. It says, uh, oh yeah, this one, it says, one strategy to treat the virus is weeks away. And what they've been doing is they've found that the lock that the virus enters into the cell is the angiotensin enzyme um, receptor in the body. So the angiotensin renin system is the interplay between the kidney and the heart and it affects blood pressure. So in the cases of high blood pressure, what they give is ACE inhibitors and these ACE inhibitors will, well, they're supposed to lower blood pressure. And what they find is that um, people that have hypertension have more of these ACE2 receptors and that using a ACE inhibitor will block those receptors, which then blocks the viruses from entering the body. So that's one of the novel things that they're seeing. Um, they've seen this with other cases of SARS and the big one that I've seen in the news, which, I mean, come on, this, is, this, this was inevitable. When is the vaccine going to be coming out for it? 
and um, it says the Corona vaccine trial. I don't know. I don't know where they're gonna start it. I think it was like in Seattle. I think I saw a video today where a, a lady was talking. I think she was in Seattle. She was talking about she's gonna be part of the the vaccine trial. And yeah, I mean, it was only a matter of time. Now, again, I'm not. I'm. I say this time and time again. I'm not anti-vaccines. You know, if if a vaccine will help the body to improve immunity, I'm all for it. But what I am against is any of the side effects that come along with it. And if the side effect was soreness, uh, we can get by with that. But when the side effect becomes neurodegenerative issues, neuroinflammation, liver issues, all those kinds of things that we don't want, that's when I have an issue with it. Okay, so, hey, if we can produce a vaccine that will not compromise the immune system, will not compromise the nervous system, I'm all for it. Let's do that, okay? So with that said, as I'm watching this report, the the girl, they they start asking her about it, and she's like, yeah, you know, I love the vaccine, I love everything, and, and, and she goes... Oh, you know, but uh, the vaccine that we're going to be using, uh, that I'm taking part in this trial, doesn't contain any of the unsafe viral particles or the virus. So it's completely safe. And the first thing that thought that came into my mind is I'm thinking, so is she basically saying on national television that the ones that do create that do contain an attenuated virus or a live active virus are unsafe? Is that what she's saying? Are people even picking up on that? I mean, you just look at her facial expression when she was saying that. I mean, she kind of looked, she had this funny look about it. Uh, you can read people's expressions by their facial expressions and, and you can tell what they're thinking about that. So that's what I'm getting at, guys. And I'm not... Again, I'm not saying that anything about a vaccine is the bad thing. We're talking about all the other stuff that's surrounding that. Now, am I just blowing smoke here? No. I want you guys to go and rewind your minds and think back to swine flu. Okay. I don't know if, how many of you guys were alive at that time, um, but swine flu, that was a big thing. And I know a lot of people that were affected by it. Um, I tr- I've treated a lot of patients that went through it. Now, the swine flu, they came out with a vaccine after that. And a lot of people jumped to it. And what happened? What happened after they started taking the swine flu? Well, there was an article uh, that was written in 2014. And it said... Brain damaged UK victims of swine flu vaccine to get, uh, what is that? I don't even, I think it's like 60 million. I don't even know what that is. Like pounds, lira, I don't know. A lot of money in, in, in because they got injured by this. Now, guys, this is not just something that I read on the internet. <laughs> I've actually treated people that have been injured by the flu vaccine. 
pretty the, the swine flu vaccine, I should say. And uh, they came down with all these neurological symptoms. Okay, uh, let's see if I can read something here. Um, following the swine flu outbreak of 2009, about 60 million people, most of them children, received the vaccine. It was subsequently revealed that the vaccine pandemics can cause narcolepsy and cataplexy in about 1 in 16,000 people. And many more are expected to come forward with symptoms. Across Europe, more than 800 children so far are known to have been made ill by the vaccine. Okay. So that's what I'm talking about with, okay, sure, we can create a vaccine that that will help. And that's that's what we're looking for. But at the same time, are, are we going to create more injuries with this? Are we going to create a different type of set of injuries? That's the one that I'm not okay with. So... Um, I hope that we can come up with something that will create, uh, uh, you know, immunological protection in the body without creating all the rest of the damage. And that goes for any type of infectious disease. Okay. That goes for any type of infectious disease. Now, let us move to what do we do about this, right? You guys, I gave you guys some basic information. Well, what do we do about this? All right. First thing we got to do is we got to stop with the fear. We got to stop with, oh my gosh, the world is ending. Um, I understand what's going on with, uh, you know, all the travel restrictions, closing of the borders, uh, quarantines, all that kind of stuff. In my opinion, that's that that's the right way to go. You know, let's just let's just chill out it's a good thing you know i mean we 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 live in this fast-paced world where we don't slow down anymore you know we don't see our families anymore so it's good let's just slow down but you don't need to fear about it fear creates more stress in the body and stress is the one thing that will really suppress your immune system so to stop with the fear uh, I see so many people, they message me every single day saying, what do I do? They're worried about that. They're just freaking out all over the world. So calm down, understand. And that's why I wanted to do this. I wanted to give you guys that information because if you understand these things more and you know what you can do about that, you don't have to worry about these things, okay? Uh, washing of your hands is, this is all the stuff we learned in kindergarten. Wash your hands. Um, you know, av- try to avoid touching your face, eyes, nose, mouth as much as possible. Clean your things. Um, if you're going to public places, use your elbow or use your knuckles or, you know, that kind of stuff. Just kind of simple stuff. Avoid touching public handrails and other things. Again, kindergarten stuff. Um, sequestering, containment, all that kind of stuff is, is going to help. Um, now, if you don't have to travel, don't travel, you know, especially avoid cruises. And if you can work at home, work at home. You know, it, it's a simple, simple procedures, guys. Now, what are the lifestyle things? So I, there's general things that we can do. We just talked about there's lifestyle things. Then we'll get into looking at the stuff that people ask me, which in my opinion are lower tiered things that you can be doing, you know, like supplements and uh, foods and all that kind of stuff. Um, it starts with lifestyle. And the biggest thing being decreasing stress, increasing sleep, 
increasing sunlight exposure. Uh, many of you guys have seen the, the thing, one thing that I posted, how they treated the Spanish flu 1918. Open air treatment. They got these patients outdoors into the sunlight. Uh, a lot of people don't understand that whole process. Well, what is it doing? It's increasing your redox state, increasing your body's ability to get more electrons because you got electrons leaking out of your body. Stuff like intermittent fasting, getting good nutrients into your body, so meaning a good diet. Infrared saunas will help. Again, all the we're not talking about curing the virus. We're talking about increasing your body's capacity. Okay, we're talking about increasing your body's ability to function properly. One of the places that I want everybody to start is the gut. If you guys know me by now, you guys know, I always tell you guys, start with the gut and specifically the gut microbiome. We need to increase the gut microbiome diversity. And you can do simple things, you know, outdoor living, get in the dirt, going back to the open air treatments, going back to the, the microbiome. We typically see a rise in, a, in rise in these viral outbreaks during the winter months, during the months that's darker, dark, that's colder. Because a lot of people are living indoors. Their microbial diversity is decreasing. Their exposure to sun is decreasing, which means that vitamin D levels are low as well, which means that they don't get enough oxygen, which means they don't get enough sunlight. So they don't get enough UV. They don't get enough infrared. All these things relate back to your redox. For those of you who have gone through my Total Gut Restore program, you guys know what I'm talking about. You guys know what to do. If you haven't gone through it and you want to go through it, you can just go to tripleplayperformance.com forward slash total gut restore, capital T on total, capital G on gut and capital R on restore. And you can go and look at that. And that'll that's basically my protocol that I've used with every single patient to get them back on their feet. But it starts with the gut microbiome. And a lot of people don't believe. They don't, they're saying, doc, come on. What the heck does the gut have to do with protecting the lungs? Um, everything. The majority of your immune system is housed in your gut. The response there is created and will propagate through the rest of the body. There's this thing called the gut-lung axis where what happens in the gut affects the lungs. The lungs has its own microbiome, which is influenced by the gut. This is not stuff that I make up, by the way. This is all studied. This is all stuff that is taught in school. Everybody uh, who knows about the human body understands that. Those who practice alternative medicine, like traditional Chinese medicine, know that the gut and the lung are related to each other. On the five element scale, they're both in the element of metal. So there's an intimate relationship between the gut and the lungs. We need to get that into balance. Other one, optimizing your sleep. But I gotta be getting a lot of sleep. A lot of times people are just not getting enough sleep. Here's the one that I wanted to get to in this whole thing. This is what I wanna teach you guys. I talked about redox in the beginning. Easiest things to be doing. First, measure your HRV, your heart rate variability. A lot of you guys have devices you guys wear on your wrist. It can measure HRV in your phone. Find a way to measure your HRV. I like to just use one of the polar chest straps. Just get one of those polar H straps. They're a chest strap. Strap that onto your chest and then link that to your, your mobile device. And you can use like Elite HRV or Nature Beat. And then you can track your heart rate variability. The more diverse your heart rate variability, the less stressed you are because that's measuring your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. The more stressed you are, the lower your heart rate variability. Your, your heart's just beating at one consistent thing. Again, we don't want it to be 
consistent beating, the difference between the beats. We want it to be variable. Variable means that you're less stressed. Lower variability means that you're stressed. When you're stressed, your immune system suppressed. So measuring your HRV is a good thing. And a lot of times when you see a drop in your HRV, you are more susceptible to getting sick. This has been correlated. So you know, if you see a drop in your HRV, you know you may be coming down with something. Uh, what, what else do you want to do? You want to improve your circadian rhythms to improve your redox. Utilizing infrared. So if you if you have an infrared panel, like one of the Juves or Gemba Red or I like Sauna Space. Infrared, uh, by the way, infrared's free from the sun because the sun's like 40, 50% infrared. So if you do have access to the sun, if you live on earth, um, even when it's cloudy, by the way, I know a lot of you guys message me, oh, it's cloudy, it's rainy or whatever. It, yeah, if there's light coming in through the clouds, you are still getting some of the beneficial light. You may not be getting a lot of infrared. You may not be getting a lot of UV, but you're getting still more. And that's one of the best ways. Again, if you don't, or you can't, or you won't, you can get a panel. A lot of people are familiar with Juve red panels. I like Gemba Red and Sauna Space. Those are easy ways to get infrared into your body, or people have infrared saunas. Cold thermogenesis is another one, utilizing cold therapy. Diet, we're gonna talk a little bit more of that later. Water is a big one because you don't want to be consuming water with fluoride in it. So we use the AquaTrue system, which is a tabletop reverse osmosis unit. Uh, why do I like that one? It's the cheapest reverse osmosis system that I've seen. They clean the water and purify the water really well. Uh, it's affordable and you don't need to do a lot of plumbing work. You just fill the tank up with water. A lot of people were like, well, what about the plastic? You know, it contains this plastic that doesn't leach anything. It's the same type of plastic that they use in like the Vitamix and a lot of food grade things. I've only seen good things with it. I mean, there is issues where you got to fill up the water. So it does take some work with that. Uh, so far, I've, I, I've liked that. Uh, is it the best? Probably not. You know, there are other units you can use under under the sink units. You can use all these other things. But in this day and age, there's so much fluoride within the water systems that, you know, it's creating a lot of issues in our body. And fluoride is, is an electrical blocker. It's, it's, it's one of the most electronegative elements. So basically all that means is it's stealing electrons. In a low redox state, you don't want more electrons being stolen. You got to keep as much electrons for yourself. All right. With that said, you want to lower your exposures to non-native EMF sources, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, cell phones, all that kind of stuff. That further reduces your redox state. There's been questions, well, you know, is this linked to 5G exposure? You know what? You'll never find any type of substantial reports that will say, yes, it is. You'll never find that. Now, is there a correlation? Yeah, there is a correlation. Is there science looking at that? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at what happens with non-native EMFs, you know, you got those voltage-gated calcium channel influence. You got correlations between the launch of 5G and then the spread of these things in the different pockets. But like I tell people, correlation doesn't equal to causation. I always err on the side of caution. Do I like 5G? Not really. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it just because of a lot of the reports that I've seen coming out of Europe. Uh, a lot of places in Europe banning 5G. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Is there a conspiracy behind 5G? I don't think that there's a conspiracy, not that I widely know of. I mean, it's it's wide open, you know, I mean, it's right there. I've seen videos where trees are dying with 5G. I've seen other things. EMFs as a whole, it's undisputable that uh, of its deleterious effects upon the body. Now, with that said, 
we're, we, we've been exposed to all types of EMFs, you know, as living organisms. We've been exposed to all types of EMFs, whether, whether it's from geopathic stress, whether it's from solar stress, background radiation. Yeah, the sun is a big EMF thing in the sky. It's what it is. Overexposure of the sun has been shown to create a lot of UV damage. Absolutely. But you can't stay away from it. It's essential to the body. Those are native EMFs. These non-native EMFs have a different type of wave signature. Now, there's a book out called EMF by Dr. Mercola, which I think everybody should read. Such a great read. He really distinguishes all the things that that's going on with it. I think there was another one, like the non tinfoil guide to EMFs. That's another good one. Basically, guys, just try and limit your non-native EMF exposures. Like I said, everything is about electrons. You you want to keep as much electrons, and the EMFs that we're being exposed to is just lowering all of that. And then the biggest one, stress reduction. So if you're in a state of fear, if you're freaking out over all this kind of stuff, you're creating a massive stress in your body. Chill out, measure HRV, do some breathing, go for a walk, just chill, okay? Now, a lot of people are gonna ask me, well, what foods do I eat? Eat good foods. Eat according to what's grown locally, what's in season. That's, that's my best advice to you. Follow the Weston A. Price type of diet. Don't get all caught up in the other stuff. Now, with that said, I think it should be a balanced diet. I think that it should be a balanced diet that's best for you. And how do you figure that out? Well, you can either do lab testing or you can do an elimination diet and figure out which foods work with your body and what doesn't. Very, very simple. But go read the book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, where he talks about his study over the entire world. That's one of the, in my opinion, one of the best nutritional books ever written because it's not done in a lab. It's not done on animals. It's done on humans. And it just looked at what were they eating? Did they go, did they uh, perform well? Absolutely. Did they not perform well? Well, why? Oh, because they introduced a westernized type diet. Very, very simple. So go read that book, uh, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. What are some of the nutrients that we can be using? Okay. So here's my top three or four. Vitamin D3 uh, is the top one. You should be getting that from the sun primarily, and then you can get that from food and then supplementation. So sun, food, and then supplementation. And then the next one is liposomal vitamin C. I like the ones from Quicksilver Scientific. If you don't have an account with me on full script, go and set up your account, tripleplayperformance.com forward slash full script, full script. And then you can set up your account and then you can go and look at the different things. I like, like I said, Quicksilver Scientific, the liposomal vitamin C with our lipoic acid. You're going to take about four teaspoons daily. And then there's another one by Life Extension, the zinc lozenges. So those are the top three that I like. And then also molecular hydrogen, which activates the NRF2 pathway. That's a really big one that if you know me, I talk about molecular hydrogen a lot. Let's move on to the natural antivirals. So there's a lot of talk about, well, what do I use as far as antivirals. My top one is medicinal mushrooms. So there's the 10 mushroom blend by Four Sigmatic. I like that. Or if you just want to get one of them out of the 10, I would look at either reishi because that helps to lower your stress. Uh, Shaga is another one. Those are my top ones for medicinal mushroom, which contains beta glucans, which 
helps support the immune system. Thieves Oil, there are a bunch of companies. I know Young Living has Thieves Oil. Um, doTERRA sells On Guard. Uh, you can make the Thieves Oil blend by taking clove, cinnamon, eucalyptus, lemon, and rosemary. Uh, we use that a lot in, in, in my office, in our house. These are my top antivirals. There was a question about elderberry and echinacea and you know you know the, the common stuff that people were taking there's a lot of controversy surrounding that because from the research that i've sh that that i've read and what's been shown is that elderberry echinacea that can actually increase a cytokine storm if it's going on would i not take it uh for the average person, I wouldn't say that it's detrimental for the average person. Now, if you have the things that I talked about, if your redox state is low, you got stuff like diabetes going on, hypertension, you got cancer going on. I don't know if I would be going the elderberry route just because of that issue with the cytokine storm. So something to think about there. What are the common medications that they're using? I'm going to answer one of the questions that a lot of you guys have been asking. What happens in the event that you do become symptomatic then, and you get tested and then you do test positive? What do you do then? Well, there's a bunch of different medications that they're using. And again, I'm not against medication because in these times, if you're in an acute reaction, you may need a medication. And in my opinion, this is a time when medications will work the best because we have a lot of the antivirals on the market that actually show to be pretty effective. One of the ones, uh, well, there, there's a whole bunch of them. One of the ones that they're they're using is chloroquine phosphate. Tamiflu is they're actually using that a lot, and another one is where is it? Let me look for it. Or tribavirin. So those are the most common ones that I've seen that they're utilizing. Uh, I think they're utilizing. They've utilized that the most in China, in the United States, in Europe. I think that they're using that they were using for Ebola which is called remdesivir. And what remdesivir does is it blocks RNA transcription. So when the virus gets into the cell, it blocks how it can replicate itself. Another one that they're using is to block the virus from actually getting into the cell would, would be an ACE inhibitor. So Losartan is the one that they're currently using now. I don't know the effectiveness. They haven't really come out with a lot of the research showing the effectiveness of the other ACE inhibitors. Now, there are some actual natural ACE inhibitors. Bonito peptide, C12 peptide, um, Hawthorne berry, and pomegranate juice are natural ACE inhibitors. They are also trying to use anti-malarial and anti-parasitic drugs. So those are the common ones that they'll be utilizing within um, a hospital setting. I've seen them use vitamin C IV drips for treatments. Those are some of the things that they're doing. Let me get to some of the questions you guys have asked. Uh, let me just go down this list. If you catch the virus, then what should you do? So here's what I would do. If you catch it, hey, you know what? Go and see your physician, arm yourself with as much information as possible, and then utilize their information as possible, and then utilize the things that, that I've told you here. Like I said, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is something that, that you can use as, as a foundational point and then stack on some of the other information that you learn along the way. Uh, another one is what is community transmission? Okay, so there's two definitions of how infectious diseases spread. One is called a nosocomial, which is within like the hospital setting, within the, you know, like a mode of transmission that you know you are around somebody that had the virus, that had the infection, and that's how it gets transferred. Community is when there is no known seed of infection 
and you somehow got it. So basically outside of a hospital infectious setting, that's where it's coming from, but there's no real known source. So that's when that's when things get kind of scratching your head. Like, wait a minute, if you were never around a person that had the virus, then how did you get it? That's a question for another day. Is it worth the risk to go out and get fresh produce or stay in and eat frozen veggies and meals? Well, if you're in a place where they're reporting a lot of infection, I don't know if I would be going out. I always tell people you should be prepared. But in in these cases, I don't know if I would be just because there's a couple couple things. One, you never know what may be going on. And for me, I'm more concerned about co-infections than I am about what's going on currently. Okay? And that's what we're, we're seeing a lot of, are these co-infections. Should you go to the doctor and get tested? Not really. Like I said, a lot of the tests are inconclusive or they're false positives. And I think that a lot of people, you know, if a lot of people will actually show to be negative, they only hold the symptoms for like a common cold or like a seasonal flu. That's what most likely will be going on. Now, if you're having respiratory distress, all the telltale signs of it, then yes, please seek medical attention. But if you don't feel well, like, oh, I have a headache, uh, I don't know. You know, that's that's just my opinion. This is not medical advice, by the way. That's just my opinion. Uh, healthiest non-perishables to stock up on. In times of quarantine, in times of emergencies, I don't know if there's that many things you can, you know, we, we have MREs, we have all those emergency preparedness foods. They do make, you know, gluten-free ones and all that kind of stuff. But when you're in that sense, I don't know if nutrients per se, eating according to a Western A price type of thing is going to be the one thing because your body's going to be, or society, I should say, society is going to be in survival mode. So how long do I think the quarantine will last? In my opinion, I think about eight weeks uh, from what I've been reading, everything should pass through and it should be in the clear by about June 2020, if not July. That's if everything goes according to how it should be and just looking at the lifespan of it all. So about eight weeks or so. Is it still okay to go outside and run? Yeah, why not? What about conceiving during this time and advice for pregnant moms? Let me start with the pregnant moms. I'd say just take the general precautions as, as with anything else, as you know, like you would, you would do during the flu season, everything that I just told you, because everything comes back down to redox. Pregnancy will lower your redox. So making sure that you're being diligent on those things to help your body to stay in a high redox state will be very important for you. Is this virus more dangerous than other viruses? And why is the media blowing this up? That's a great question. Like I said before, it's not necessarily about the virus, but how the body's responding to it. This type of virus it has a different type of genetic sequence in it. And there are a couple of different mutations than other types of coronavirus. That's why it's called a novel coronavirus. It's creating a different type of immune response. The immune response is the dangerous part. That's what we're seeing. Is, is the virus more dangerous? I don't think the virus is more dangerous. I think that it's, like I said, it's just creating that immune response in a selective group. Thank goodness it's not detrimental to a lot of the children. But again, if the children's immunocompromised. I've seen reports where there are some children that have lung issues like lung cancers and they're being affected by it. If the body is in a low redox state, that's when we're seeing it being more dangerous. 
because the body goes into that cytokine storm and then the body just can't respond from that. Why is the media blowing this up? I don't know. I really don't know. I think just because of the widespread of it all. I mean, the media always blows up any type of outbreaks with anything. I mean, you go back to the measles outbreak that happened in uh, Southern California. I mean, I was in the midst of that. And, you know, you had the measles outbreak in, um, in Samoa. All these other things, anytime you have these outbreaks, the media will always propagate it. Why does the media do these things? I mean, I have my ideas that I'll keep to myself. The media does its thing. I mean, it has to have something to report on, you know, the biggest news. So that's what, that's their job. Uh, next question is, does ibuprofen NSAIDs worsen the symptoms? I've seen a lot more reports saying, yes, it does worsen the symptoms. The answer to that would probably be yes. Next question is how to not buy into the media hype. Well, Here's my opinion. Don't watch the media. Don't listen to them. And or understand what they're trying to say. Take the information, but never get caught up in the emotion. That's my that's my best advice. Is this a serious issue for those with autoimmune issues? Well, I haven't seen that many issues for autoimmune things. So I don't think so. What about traveling? In my opinion, I wouldn't be traveling right now just because and the major issue is not necessarily for the virus itself. But, you know, you look at all those cruises, those people are trapped on the boat. You know, say you go somewhere and then they, they close on the borders. You can't get back. That's the biggest thing. I've, I, I saw people well, in Chicago the other day, they're trying to get through customs and it's four, five, six hours to get through that. That's why I, I wouldn't recommend traveling. It's just inconvenient right now. Another question was, how are people in Hawaii handling this? You know, I mean, in Hawaii, people are just kind of chilling out. The school systems have extended the spring break. Kids are staying home. A lot of the businesses are just chilling out. But as a whole, there's not much of a fervor going on. And I mean, there were there were multiple reports. There was just another report this morning that I read that there was a the first community infection out on the windward side. There were reports of people that were from the cruise ships coming in that had tested positive. But overall, I don't think, you know, people in Hawaii are getting too crazy over this stuff. And even if there is a mass island shutdown, I don't think people in Hawaii would really care all so much. I mean, we'd all just probably just hang out, do our thing. If you get the virus and recover, can you get it again? From what I've seen, yes. And from what I've seen in the past, yes. Oh, this was a, a really good question. If a vaccine does come out as, you know, like I talked about earlier, is this something I would have recommended to my grandmother? And my answer would be no, just because I of what I know um, and how people with immunocompromised nervous systems and low redox states would react to it. So now with that said, like I said before, if the vaccine, I knew for a fact that it would not cause any type of deleterious effects on the body, I'm all for it. But in all honesty, we haven't seen that yet. We have not seen that yet. So those were the Q and A's that you guys have asked on my Instagram. I just want to wrap all this up. I mean, this was a long one. Yeah, there's stuff going on. There's more to it than a lot of people understand. There's more to it than I understand. But the, what I wanted to do here, guys, is just the foundation, just the foundation of it all. I wanted to make sure that you guys understand because when you understand something, you don't have to fear it 
or you don't have to fear it as much. There's a lot of fear mongering going on right now on the, on the mainstream media. I wouldn't buy into that. I wouldn't succumb my family to all that stuff. My biggest advice to you, listen to this, listen to it over again. If you have questions, message me on, on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, you can hit me up there, instagram.com forward slash triple play doc. I post something about all things health. Um, right now, we're talking about the biggest thing right now in, in society, COVID-19. They do Q&As every single Tuesday where I post up a question box on a Monday and then you can ask a question and uh, if I can get to it, which there are thousands of questions every single week, I'll get to it on Tuesday afternoons. And a lot of people, if you guys just have questions, you guys can reach out to me through that that medium that's one of the best ways. If this is your first time listening to my podcast. I thank you guys for sticking around this long. I know this is a long one. You guys can go back and search through all the different other podcasts. Got so much information there. I, I've had some amazing guests in the past. Consider subscribing. I've been bugged by a lot of people to get back on the podcast. So yes, I will. I got a whole bunch of episodes that that I didn't release in the past that I, that I, I will release. And then um, I got a whole bunch of more things going on. So with that said, guys, stay safe, be kind to each other, don't freak out. This is Dr. Mike from Triple Play Performance Podcast saying be well and aloha. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a five-star review. Connect with me on Instagram at Triple Play Doc. Stay tuned for more episodes. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell the entire world. Till the next episode, be well and aloha.